All right. Good afternoon, guys. This is Brandon Burdick, and I am bringing you the Get Real podcast for this week. Um, this is going to be a one-of-a-kind episode. We're honored today to have the managing broker of Laguna Beach Caldwell Banker. His name is Rick Hernandez. He's a fantastic guy, and he's right here, and we're going to talk all about the real estate brokerage, and we're going to learn about Rick and his story, too, how he got into real estate, You know, some of the hardships he may have overcome uh, to get to where he is today, and uh, really the reasons why the brokerage has any value at all to you as a consumer. So um, are you ready, Rick? Yeah, I'm ready. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, enlightening you on me and the brokerage and everything else. So thanks for having me today, Brandon. That's what we're here to do. Um, so the first part of this today, we're, we're going to get to know you, Rick. Um, who are you? Where, do, where were you born, first off? Okay, so I was born in East L.A. and I uh, had really bad asthma as a kid uh, born. So I was in the hospital a lot. My parents were only 18 and 17 years older than me when I was born. So uh, I'm kind of a love child from the hippie days. And uh, they had to move me out of the area because the smog was so bad in L.A. So I ended up being in, and they moved to San Clemente where the doctors recommended the air was better and more moist because of the, um, the fog and whatnot. So um, I moved to San Clemente when I was about four and a half years old and uh, grew up there ever since. So that's a pretty big move, Rick. That's um, kind of interesting, too. Was your asthma related to living next to Cheech and Chong by any chance? <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe my parents because they were hippies. But, uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, my parents had a van, you know, the classic 60s, 70s stuff going on with them. But uh, great parents. I'm glad they kept me, you know, <laughs> at that young age. I'm sure, and I'm sure there was a lot of evolution in the family and, and learning on the run. And, uh, you know, very grateful to have you today here as a broker. You're, you're a fantastic guy. And uh, I just want to kind of understand from that background, moving forward, what, what's the story of you getting into real estate? So how did that happen? Yeah, so for me, it was, uh, I was going to school, like a lot of, a lot of young people, uh, my teenage years were not my, my favorite. I was struggling to find my own identity. My parents were actually divorcing around that time. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I did, my parents talked me into going to college. So I went the first year, come, I was coming back uh, from a, a break from the first year of college. I was up in Santa Barbara and uh, came back and I was out surfing and I met this guy out in the water and he's like, you would be great in real estate. What are you doing right now? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to figure things out. He's like, I'll pay your way for all your real estate needs. Come start this uh, mail courier service. He was a new home uh, VP for Richmond American Homes. And so he said, start this up, pay $1,500 a month and drive around and deliver the mail. And once you get your license, I'll put you in as a new home sales guy and we pay, you can make you know, 50 to $75,000 a year once you get started. So um, I took a break from college and went for it. And in that time frame, I interviewed all the people I was interaging with that were selling new homes, fell in love with it. So this is, I'm all of 19 years old, I get my license, he follows through, gets me all dialed in, and I wasn't supposed to start right away, but somebody like blew it that was on the new home track. So he's like, you got your license, go in there. So this is, so my first real estate job was in Highland, California, which is on the base of the mountain going up to Big Bear. Oh yeah. So they're selling, I was selling houses for 135,000. Um, it was a company called Rich American Homes and they hadn't had a sale there in like six months. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I kind of understood the market a little bit. I sold six homes in the first week I was there, and they hadn't had stuff in months. And this is in this is in 88, 89. The market's starting to change. Not very good. Rates were at 12, 15%. Ooh. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Wow. But pricing was there. But it was still a struggle for everybody. Um, I got in there, made my way, never looked back, got into to that. So 
within five short years, I was in management. I had, a, had an, uh, I did really well in sales. I got my broker's license there. So I've had my broker's license for 32 seasons now. Um, been there seasons. a long time. Yeah, I call it seasons because to me it's like like football or, or some sort of sport. <laughs> you know, each season you get to get in there and you're playing and you're tackling, you're doing your thing. I love it. So, yeah, so that's a little bit of my background. And I got into corporate America. So I have a little different background than a lot of the other brokerages do today. Absolutely. So um, kind of interesting, and, and it's going to take me off course a little bit, but you said that you did six sales on a pretty dormant community immediately. Yeah. Do you, do you want to share some of your secrets with us? Well, for me, the secret was at the sales level, I was engaging everybody, and I didn't know any better. So I didn't have any preconceived notions about what you should or shouldn't do. I was just a kid that had skills to be able to communicate, and people liked me. So I had a likability factor, but I really got to know the product, and that was the key. For me, I like, what am I selling? What am I doing? And I was selling lifestyle before I ever knew there was a thing. So I was talking to people about how easy it is to be by the mountains and how it is to be by Redlands. And this is an upcoming area called East Highlands Ranch at the time. It was like the first, one of the first master plans in the, in, that was being invented, essentially. And you could be a part of that, right? So I was selling that. And people took to me. And then later on, you start getting success and realizing. And I got some pretty good training along the way in corporate America, working for these big Fortune 100 companies, selling real estate, new homes. New home sales was my bag. So did that for eight years, got into management because somebody got sick and I knew everything, so they put <laughs> me in. And um, I was a techie guy at the time. It was before computers were really popular. So they had a computer that no one used, but I was the guy that used it, so I used that. I was doing follow-up and calls and things that people weren't doing in the new home business. They just got their little salary. So I went in a short period of time. By the time I was 22 years old, I was managing over 200 agents in the new home business. And I did that for a long period of time. That's a about, lot. Yeah, so by, out of my 32 seasons, uh, about 22 of those seasons were high-level management of multi-state you know, state level. I got into the senior-level mucky-muck stuff of managing. At one point, I was managing 3,000 closings a year and almost 600 individual sales professionals work directly for me as an employee. A little different than our brokerage setup we have today with Coldwell Banker and the other way the residential real estate brokerages are. So that's a little bit about how I ended up with that. And the secrets to that are just go for it, don't listen to anybody, I didn't know any better, and uh, connecting the dots with people. And people liked me, and as long as I, I was always telling the truth too, and I think that people appreciated that. So instinct, truth, communication yeah. skills, likability. Yeah, and people, I tried to teach people how to do that, and I realized right away that you can't teach people attitude. They have to learn from within and understand it, but I can influence it. And so today's, you know, what I do with, with the teams and what we have available, it really helps um, leading by example. You know, I can outwork everybody, almost outwork. You're, you're right up there with me, brother. <laughs> you, 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 know, you and I both are trading information at, you know, 8, 2 a.m. and waking up at 5 a.m., and so sometimes that's what it takes, you know, the grind, as you call it, right? We're, we work hard for, for the people we work for. Being in that season, too, and, and really desiring that result that you're looking for and, and really wanting to make people happy with your service. I mean, that, that's crucial. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you had that from the age of 19, which is pretty impressive. I don't think a lot of 19-year-olds can put on the big boy pants and get out there and, and deal with all the objections and concerns about buying a home. I mean, that's some pretty hardcore stuff and then they're looking at you like you're a kid yeah you know they might like you a lot but they go what what do you know about owning a home you know yeah. so it's pretty amazing that broke down a lot of barriers because i was very young and i looked even younger so i know this is a podcast but 
Um, I've always looked about eight or nine years younger than I am, and it was one of my personal stigmas that I had to get over. So being younger in sales, I always knew I had a chip on my shoulder. So I always, like I was trying to grow facial hair, I always wore a tie and a suit to try and look older than I was. But I, I, I realized soon on that it was endearing people by like, I look like their nephew or their son or somebody in their family. You know, that's how I got to it. But um, And the truth know, comes to the top, right? So yeah, if you're oh telling gosh. the truth, you're, you're going to get people verifying that, oh, you know what? Rick knows what he's talking about. Yeah, just through, his, uh, like you said, the instincts. I think I was, some people are born with a good golf swing. Um, I was born with the ability to connect with people. It's great. It's great. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you're all the way through new construction. You work for Richmond American Homes. You're, you're basically a VP, it sounds like, at this point. Yeah, I was a senior level VP managing multiple regions, had other managers underneath me. It got to be a big, big job. You know, we were opening new communities every week. And, um, you know, at one point, my, my, you know, managing marketing dollars for the, a large corporation like that, you know, two or three hundred million dollars a year in just marketing spend. Uh, managing where to place that, how to position it, and to benefit to attract the right clients for our, our subdivisions and uh, the new home communities that we were representing. So guys, this is the first time I've ever heard that Rick managed about how, ma how many millions of dollars of money for, <laughs> for marketing? Yeah, 200 to 300 million dollars just in marketing spend a year throughout and have to be placed right. And, and it's funny, you do the stats, you know, you don't always pat yourself on the back, but you look at what are, what's your accomplishments and um, I did the numbers recently uh, for another project, and uh, I've sold almost or been involved with managing almost $8 billion directly, $8 billion in sales. But you're just really going and doing your job. It's almost overwhelming <laughs> if you think yeah, about it that right, way, you right? You start adding up all the little pieces, and it, it adds up. It's, it's kind of crazy. That is crazy. So uh, I'm going to ask you one question. Out of all those millions of dollars of marketing spend spent, what was probably the most effective marketing decision that you made at those companies or at, at Richmond American? Well, it, you know, it evolved from Richard American to Centex Homes to Toll Brothers to a company called Capital Pacific, and I was a consultant along the way. I had such a good reputation for bringing value to the table for the seller. So, uh, you know, if you think of the builder, they're just the seller, and they're trying mm -hmm. to sell their listings that they have, so they trust you with that. And so value, what I mean by that is, is I've always been really good at demonstrating the quality of, and the services of, our, of, of who we represent. And that translates to a higher value because in the absence of value, all you have is price and you can always sell something. You just discount it, right? Walmart's a good example of a discounter. Nordstrom is a, disc, uh, a service level. So, you know, everyone's got their niche on how they're going to position themselves in the market. And so wherever I went and the teams that I've developed and worked, we always get more money for an equal square footage house or the value. So the value is always perceived when we're involved in it. And I think that translates to the people that we attract even today, like you. You do such a great job of bringing every nuance to that property. So if you're a seller, you know, and you work with Brandon, he's going to he's going to make sure that the people that are involved or interested are going to know everything about the house in terms of how it relates to bring value. Because it's not always about the price. Because we will do what it takes if we really want something. Oh, of course. So if I can tap into what your direct needs and wants are, and I can show you how this property is going to meet those needs. The price kind of becomes irrelevant. It's no, it's like, how do I do it? I gotta get this. Yeah, right? how, how do I people, get it? People are resilient. They'll get whatever. I know my wife when she wants something, she'll figure out a way if she sees it. She doesn't care about how much it costs. If the quality, the location, the services, and everything match up, she's all about it, and she'll 
press to get it. And She's normal, people, huh? Yeah, most people are right. <laughs> <laughs> most people are actually like that if you can get them to that point. Absolutely. So that, that ice-breaking and that personality and the personability factor and being likable is a huge deal um, just so you can get to the nuts and bolts of the deal. So kind of fast forward here, you've gone through all this corporate America, new homes. Where does the trigger for the switch to resale real estate? Because it's a different industry, right? Yeah. You're selling turnkey, cherry, never been used, warrantied product, right? And then what made you decide that you wanted to roll over after, what, 20 odd years yeah. of new home service into a new challenge of resale real estate? Well, I think like many people listening, um, if you went through the Great Recession, you know, 2007, 2008, what happened was the decision was made for me, Brandon. Okay. So, so when the market changed as a home builder, there was no, all the banks left us. So if you know anything about the industry, you leverage using finances to build and develop. And when that dried up, there was like, there's plenty of land, but nobody would lend any money to build. And we didn't have the finances to build 200 homes, you know, and so... Um, in looking at where to go with my business, it was sort of like being a doctor and then nobody got sick anymore. There wasn't any new homes being built. So all the skills and acumen I had for that career, mind you, really I was figuring out where I was gonna apply that. And it wasn't until I got into the resale side of things and looked at, wow, the applications of all my corporate America, because most of the managers that are out there in, the, in our industry, they were decent agents. They weren't great agents because they're great agents. They never get into management. But if they're sure. decent, they would they would trickle into management. They get a salary, get a little more security in their business. But they always were looking from that resale uh, or 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 I'm an okay agent perspective. I've never been a full time real estate agent in that regard. I was a corporate America guy. So the executive disciplines of knowing how to use a business plan, setting up a P&L, understanding the cost of a sale and your allocations of business and what you and I work on all the time is I bring that acumen to the resale world and agents are all, you're your own independent business within ours and we coexist as partners. So what I try and do and we do that well is give you that support and, and education and tools to build your business so you can manage it properly. And that translates into delivering more value every day to your customer, whether they're a seller or a buyer. And that's how uh, we've been winning. Awesome. So um, I wanted to talk to you about this. I think most people that are in business um, end up more or less on a similar path that you did. Like you actually are the embodiment of you just kind of stumbled upon this business. You went surfing one day and the next thing you know, you're working for a new home builder as a 19 year old. Yeah. All right. And then going from that to crushing six homes in a stale development in a bad time. Yeah. Right. And then and then getting some attention and going, wow, what's this kid doing? Yeah. So, um, you know, you you had a lot of attention, obviously, but but through some of the harder times, um, did you have any mentors in the business that you'd like to credit? And what did those mentors teach you? Oh, yeah. The, the one guy that really got me from the one next level, his name was Bill Shannon. He was my act acting manager when I was over at Richmond American. And then we went over to um, Centex Homes, which these companies barely exist now. They've all morphed into different things because of the changes in the economy. But Bill Shannon was really instrumental of keeping my feet to the fire. He was the first guy that video made me videotape myself. Now, this is in 1995 when it wasn't you could just pick up your phone and video. This was like... You had to have like that thing on your shoulder, it had to be plugged in with a tape in there. And you know, it was it was really interesting. So the role play that he made me do, and we and this was something that 
I kicked and screamed was setting up a plan and having a, a reason and a purpose when you work with customers and being cognizant of who they are and what their needs are. Instead of my needs being transposed onto them, it was like understanding where you're at in your life, whether you're selling or buying, and bringing that out and representing properly. And that I thank him for because it's been the cornerstone of my success. So um, let, let's talk about this. The first time you watched yourself on video, what was your reaction of yourself? It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I mean, I do, I do, uh, I read back. I haven't videotaped myself too much, but I read back a lot of things that I write. Yeah. And then I start cringing. So I, yeah. I can only imagine. So, so describe the first time. Well, the first time is we had a specific, he made us do a specific script with addressed the customer's needs without us getting derailed on these rabbit trails. So it was very focused, like ask specific questions, let it breathe, take the information. And by scripting, it's really meaning like, know what you're gonna say so you're not thinking about what you're gonna say so you can actually listen to the person on the other side and take their information, right? Clearing so, the head space. Yeah, so so there was a very, he concise, there was very specific words and if we went, it was like a movie. You had a movie, like you had to get your script down and if you were out, it was cut and do it again. And so watching the video afterwards and it was so, like at first it was very contrived and canned and then you start making it your own over time and then it became something that I didn't even worry about anymore. So from seeing yourself, meaning, you know, we all wanted to lose weight or change our hair when we first saw ourselves on videotape, because it's like, wow, you know, that's why I really look, or that's how my voice sounds. But over time, you just, it becomes a really great, useful tool. Right. And these days, with the phones and the videos and what we're doing now, it's just such a, it's so much easier to look in someone's eyes, even if it's on the screen, and say, oh, is this person really sincere about what they're saying? Sure. And I think it translates really well today, in today's market. Great. Okay. So, so that's super interesting. I, I find it always interesting to see when people actually see themselves or whatever. I, you know, a lot of times I think people too in sales, um, they start talking about themselves too much in the process. And then if you turn it on them and you video them, they start catching it and they're like, wait a second, I, I just look like an ass. You know? <laughs> and then, and then you, you start unraveling that process and you go, wait, this has to be a natural thing. Yeah, um, for sure. So that, that's awesome feedback right there. And, and I'm pretty glad that you had that mentor because I think you rubbed off well on all of us, um, you know, because of him. Yeah. So um, here, here's an interesting question. What's the biggest disappointment that you've had in your real estate career? Because this is a, a business of trials and tribulations and it takes a person with thick skin and a sturdy backbone to last 30 years in the real estate industry without dying, having a heart attack, losing all their hair, or uh, being terminally ill. So so let's describe your biggest disappointment and also what you learned from that. Yeah, so it's always, you're failing forward constantly. So if you're not, you know, I'm an athlete, so if I'm going down the slopes and I'm not falling enough, it's because I'm not pushing myself hard enough. So there's days when you just wanna cruise, good, great, enjoy what you've learned, and then there's other times where you need to push and get to the next level. And so for me, when I was pushing hard in the corporate world, um, I always felt a strong disappointment um, all the time. And today I'm a little more mature in it, but in my younger days, I can tell you this, that top producers are people that, that want to be the best. They live in a state of low morale. And sure. what I mean by that is, is like, okay, you got the best sale ever. You really helped those people through. You know, there's no time for celebration for us because you, it's sort of part of the plan. You're expected to do that. So it's not a surprise. People who celebrate, they tend to be surprised by the results. So, um, you know, I kind of have the saying where I really hate losing more than I like winning uh, because uh, winning's expected, losing is a, a surprise to me. So my biggest disappointments have been when I've not 
been clear enough or I felt like I did my all and the, the appreciation wasn't there or somebody made a decision not to use me for whatever reason. And that just was kind of more rocket fuel for me to like, okay, what can I do better? How can I go back? So I, I critique a lot of the people that don't want to work with me because I want to find out why and how come so I can make sure that that doesn't happen again. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Was there a specific year or a specific instance that you can think of where you had some pretty severe letdown from a goal you had or maybe an appointment or a deal that you wanted that you did not get? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I mean, it's kind of all blurs no into names. one. No, na- no <laughs> names here. We don't name kinda, anyone. It kind of blurs into one big thing. But there's, there's again, because the expectation of, of you're going to get what what you want when you don't get it, it's a surprise. So um, specifically, I was working on a big, big project. Um, it was going to be worth about $250 million. Whew. And the project, um, you know, I I. I went into, uh, the, the client had asked me to show up. I wasn't ready, but because I had to make a decision whether I get ready and potentially put off the meeting that would put me out of the deal, okay. or do I take the meeting even though I'm not ready? And so, so you, you, I took the meeting and I wasn't ready, and I kind of turned the person off, and it ended up not getting the deal. And so it was something I said that it wasn't anything bad, but it was just how I was behaving. The guy got turned off and I, got, I lost the deal. So going back on that, right, um, with preparedness, would you have made the same decision if you were to relive that circumstance? Or would you have come up with a different strategy to give you more time to get ready for that meeting? Yeah, I think I could have I could have done better or buying some more time. But honestly, when I think back on it, which I haven't done in a long time, I think Sorry. I would. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I had my funeral for that deal, and I was on on my way. But grieved it. Um, I think it's always being prepared is probably the thing about that. Yeah. Like, like had I not been surfing and goofing off in that time frame and being a little more focused on that instead of shooting from the hip, having that more in place, mm-hmm. whether it was him or anybody, right? right? Having that, okay, always being ready kind of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So it kind of like almost rubbed off as like overconfidence. You're like, oh, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And then you just flew in there and, and you got shooed right out. And yeah. And that, ultimately that's what he said when I went back later and said, what happened? Because years later we ran into each other and I said, hey, whatever happened with that? He's like, you know, um, you just came across like a, a little, I just, you you were a little cocky and I didn't think you could do it. You know, I thought you were blowing smoke, you know, but Wait. nowadays he's like, I can see cause you went out and did so much more after that. Cause he stayed in the same industry. We're in that same circle. So anyway, he, he watched it and he, he saw yeah. you get fired up. Yeah. We actually did some business later on in life. So, again, so he so trained so. you. He was, yeah. He was really no, a mentor. I thanked him for it. Yeah. It was one of a great lesson to learn. See that. That's the funny thing. I think a lot of people end up, they put their head down and then they get buried and they, they start missing the lessons. So, um, I, I think it's a great lesson for everyone that's listening. The uh, We're going for biggest disappointment. Let's go to biggest success that you have achieved in your career. What would you consider the biggest success? Well, there's milestones, right? So along the way, there's all kinds of milestones. For me, my biggest success has to do with my family life too because they, my wife, Kelly, has always been by my side and we've chosen for her not to work. She's been taking care of my three daughters over the years. Fast forward now, I'm going to be a grandpa next next month. So the daughters are, you know, I get accolades. They're just great human beings, great people. But the success for, for me is tied to her and my family always being on board with the decisions of the real estate world because it's so demanding. We don't have days off. You know, as, as a leader of other managers, they expect me to be available because they have to answer to their clients. 
And, and if you waited two or three days to get back to them, that means their client's waiting and that never goes off. See, your clients are calling you now. Um, so, so being available for that. My business success is having that support, Brandon. And you know, fast forwarding right now, I've had great successes in my life. Uh, right now where I'm at in my career, um, it's by design. And I think to me, that's my success. I've pictured and visualized over the years of where I would end up, what I'm doing. And I've got a lot, a lot of work still yet to be done, but I've crafted and carved out an area between Newport and San Clemente and everywhere in between. I've got great agents like you uh, that I can support every day. And you know what we've created since I've been with the company five years now, it's really come a long way and I'm super proud of it. So um, I'm really happy where I'm at today with the success of it. And there's so much more to be yet to be had. Will, so, you, you know. so you're still hungry, you're still you're Oh still gosh, it. yeah, you know, I can't go out there and make a sale like I used to, but when you make that sale that you're looking for and you're putting together, I mean, before the podcast, you guys should know, there's a t- couple other agents. I make a quick comment to the one agent, Brandon's sitting there and pretty soon they're, they're gonna leave here today and go on an $8 million potential deal. And that only happened because of my butting into their business. That's true. Right? And that's how it (laughs) works. So I like to love connecting those dots and being able to do it at a high level these days with my 32 plus seasons under my belt. It's easy for me, but I enjoy it and watching that. That's my new kick, man. Getting your watch and your success. Creating the environment for people to be in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. Okay. So this is going to lead in well. The next part of this interview is really about the brokers, about today. Okay. Like what we're doing, what brokerages are you know, how they add value to people's lives when they want to conduct a real estate transaction. Okay. So, uh, first question here is, what is the general responsibility of the brokerage to the client? Just for anyone that's just new to real estate, been there for a million years, whatever, and still doesn't understand what we do, because I see that all the time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of funny. They're just kind of out on it, and they go, I just start dishing out brokers every 30 days. (laughs) Well, my properties don't sell. These are developers sometimes, like one custom home builders, you know, and you're like, you guys really just don't even know what we're doing, right? Yeah, and It's like, sure. it's, it's funny. So, so what is the responsibility of the brokerage to the client? Well, the responsibility of the brokerage to the client is really, the, the responsibility is kind of through the agent that is being represented. So we provide all the support and the services that the agent actually delivers to the client. So it's an indirect relationship, but at the same time, if you're working with the small brokerage, you know you, you need to ask your agents these questions is, is why did they choose the brokerage that they're with today? 90% of them are choosing it because they're saving money. They're not looking at how it can infect their business to make more and generate more business because if we could provide more services to our client, which we do at Coldwell Banker and with you, Brandon, you know, there's going to be a higher level of value because it's not always about the commission. It's about what you're earning on the other side of it. Right. So I think the difference between the the franchise owner, the agent that works for a franchise or their, their own little brokerage to um, the largest real estate company in the world, you know, we as a brokerage are there for the process when things don't go right. Right. And when they do. Sure. So legal aspects, preparing following the compliance of our state and local and national governments that that we're not just, hey, you gotta get your license. You're licensed by the state like a contractor when you do real estate. So the responsibilities, obligations, and the fiduciary part of that is our jobs to educate you as the agent, make sure the client understands that because if things go, people don't realize in our world, you can get a different agent anytime you want as long as your contract allows you to, but how well is that held up? There's so much legal aspects to it, but the brokerage responsibility is to make sure our agents are representing you, the client, properly. 
and and there's a moral, ethical, fiduciary, and then the legal aspects of that. And it's complicated. It's not super clear. But that's what we're here for is to make sure that your guys are covered all the way around. Oh, that's great. So also as an agent, you're offering us basically advantages, benefits that we can use to assist our clients. Um, so I wanted to ask you first and foremost, uh, because it's a competitive world out there, you've got yeah. you got big companies throwing big dollars at certain things. Um, some things are effective, some things may not be as effective um, as well. So we always got to evaluate what the resources is. If someone says that something costs a trillion dollars, um, it might be worth nothing. So yeah. so you got to be careful with that stuff, right? So oh. what, what do you feel um, through Caldwell Banker here is the biggest value, like when you go to recruit an agent and you have someone that's really good and, and they want to know how you can improve their business, right? Mm -hmm. um, what are you going to tell them and what, what services are they really going to benefit from that's going to help them actually do that? Well, I think it's, it's you know, everybody can get these days, uh, as a brokerage goes, they can subscribe to all kinds of uh, tools, right? So you've got your CRM, you've got your website, you've got all these gadgets. Okay. Um, and, and then you get handed a password. You still have to execute those, use them well. And at Caldwell Banker, we, we have people that support our agents, and that's the unique difference so, you know, you know this, but the people listening, so Brandon has a full-time marketing person on his staff. He has a full-time admin person on his staff. He has a full-time coach trainer. He has a full-time brokerage. There's over 400 people in our marketing department that support him and his initiatives. And he gets all that as part of Coldwell Banker. That's our back office support as the partnership for you. So what that means to the client indirectly is you have so much more sources to market and expose their properties. If you're looking to sell your property, the way we do with our listing concierge system, the way we do with the revitalized program where you can actually front the money to help improve their property, get a higher value via staging and all that, that's amazing. If you're a military person, we're giving rebates back to our, our, our military who have served, the veterans, um, we've got the lenders, we've got the title companies, it's all encompassed to help deliver top level service. And that's where we we call ourselves a full service brokerage, and that's the difference. So agents have their choices to save money, but like I said before, our job is to make you more money because if you're successful through higher level of volume, and let's not forget we've been in business for 106 years uh, since 1906, excuse me, 114 years. So the brand awareness of Call Banker means something to the people because we've managed ourselves over the years so well. It has a stellar brand. So all that translates is to selling your house in the most effective way via promotion and um, exposure. That's probably the best way I could put it because it's an international scheme here. And as you, the agent, as hard as you work, we want you working with the relationships to develop with the other agents to bring the right clients if you're listing it and to spend time with the buyer prospects that you have to go out there and find them the right home through the minutiae and the detail because it's not just finding the home. New homes is easier because it's a brand new product. It's never been used before. Right. But a used product like what we do on the resale side, you know, knowing the nuances to what's a quality book, you know, how do you know the home's been built right? You got investigations and all that, but you as an agent, you learn through our experiences. We want you to spend that time instead of worrying about how to create a flyer. You know, these things are all done via services, not just tools. That's our big X factor. Yeah, I, I find this a very, very cush environment for a real estate agent to walk into and be really, really maximally efficient and dedicated to the client. So um, I would agree with you there, Rick. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a seller, right? I walk up to you and I go, hey, you know, I sold my Corvette on my own. 
I sold I sold a house back in '86 on my own. Yeah, you know I, I think you guys you guys charge too much money. Um, you know let let's talk about the reality of the value of a real estate agent, and then like you know let's talk about how much time it actually would take for yeah. these people to sell their houses. So on average, right? I, I mean, how many how many man hours goes into doing basically preparing, right? Setting up, photographing getting into the market, professional description, all that stuff, how much time, energy, and, and resource goes into that? And then who's getting the short end of the stick at the end of the day? Is the agent getting the short end of the stick for, for actually volunteering to do this stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, how, mu how much does it cost to list a property, essentially, you know, through Caldwell Banker Listing Concierge? Like, what, what is the total value of all the things that we provide? Well, you know, you're offering your clients uh, about a $15,000 package if you were to add everything up. So what that means is, you know, the television shows that we put together, the, the distribution of a magazine. If, if I'm talking to an agent that wants to create those things, they like where to even begin? So you have to do your research. You have to pony up a ton of dough to do all that. And so what happens is agents just don't do it. So they're not offering that value. So in the absence of value, all you have is price. So that's where I think the industry's changed a lot because it over the since the recession and all the things, a lot of brokerages couldn't afford to offer their agents all this great value. So they just said, hey, here's a better commission structure. And so they you're supposed to pass that on to your client. And a lot of agents have been doing that. They've been catching the business via, hey, come list with me, I'll give you a discount. But the clients are getting used to this discount thing, but there's a whole other level of what are you getting for it? Because if an agent doesn't have enough money or they give away their own money, what are they going to do with your money? Because at the end of the day, the agent who puts in the time and the energy, like Brandon, if you list with, if I'm a seller and I list with you and we don't sell the house, you know, you're out all that money. Call bankers out all that money. The client still has the asset. They can still recover their time. It's just time. Right. And I think people, you know, they get all kinds of advice these days. I mean, it's like WebMD. I'm sure the doctors have the same problem, right? Right. You go to a doctor and you go on WebMD. Oh my gosh, I'm dying of all these diseases. And well, I heard the families are trying to sue the doctors now too um, because they, they want to be medicated for everything that it could possibly Yeah, take. hey, why aren't you doing this? And the doctor's like, oh, <laughs> right. So yeah. I need to yeah. diagnose before we prescribe. And the same is true with a professional realtor. Like, you don't just discount everything. You, you don't. By the way, if you're a seller, the price of the home really matters of how we're going to be able to take care of you. You can sell the house in a minute. You just got to price it below the market. But most of the people that are looking for the deepest discounts, they're grinding on the money, so they're trying to save it on the other end. It's sort of like if you had to get heart surgery, would you go for the cheapest doctor or would you go for the one that actually has the level of experience that's going to get the job done? Because your life depends on it. Now, real estate's not as drastic as that, but some would argue... If you know, I've got six, seven hundred thousand dollars in equity I want to release from this property, the decisions that I'm and who I'm using can really affect that value because everyone's got an opinion about real estate and it's a subjective commodity. So that's where it goes kind of haywire because people think and they second guess and they get third opinions. And if they would just trust us, Brandon, and listen to what we say, because this is our job. Look, we don't make any money until the thing closes, let alone sells. So hours and hours and hours of time. We laugh internally. We say we work for free until we get paid, and it's really it's true. true. It's yeah. really true, and and so we never stop relenting with that if it's the right thing to do. And we'll partner with the best clients if they're committed. But sometimes it's good to pass on the right people. If maybe if it's not a fit, just like a doctor. Hey, I'm gonna go pick somebody else, and that's okay too. 
But at Cobalt Banker, our record is stellar. We're number one in all of our marketplaces. We've been around for a long time, and we deliver the goods for our agents and for our clients who are working with our agents. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think this is kind of a funny analogy, but, I mean, I used to build stuff. And when you needed a tool for one job, right, you go to Harbor Freight. And you go, I just need to use this thing one time. And it might even break during that one time, right? Yeah. But it was so much cheaper than everything else, right? So you go... Well, if I, I need a glue gun for one shot, dude, I'm going to Harbor Freight. I'm going to pick it up. It's going to be $10 instead of 40 I don't have to get the DeWalt one, you know? <laughs> yeah, so that's a good analogy. We're, we're good. And then and then you use it that one job, and then the, the thing melts down. So, like, the heating component, like, dies the first try, you know? But you got your job done that time, right? So um, some jobs are tougher than others, right? So I'm yeah. not going to use that same glue gun and go work on a project that's going to take me a month. I'm going to have to go buy the $40 one. Because it's going to get me on a project, but I got into that project because it was worth it. Yeah, I, I'll share this quick story. My brother taught me this. He's a painter, and um, you know, this was years ago, and he's been doing it for a while. He's excellent at his craft, but he always asked this question, and I learned from it. He's like, "Okay, Brandon, if I'm your, uh, you know, you're looking to hire me as a painter," he said, "Asked this question. He's like, so um, what guy do you want to show up for the job? There's the ten dollar an hour guy, there's the thirty dollar an hour guy, and there's the forty dollar an hour guy." Which guy do you want? And of course, you say, well, I want the $10 an hour guy. Okay, well, let me explain what the $10 an hour guy is about. He's going to show up whenever he wants. You're going to have to pay for all the paint. If he splatters paint on your you know, beautiful couch or damages something, it's on you. Um, he might show up a little drunk or wasted because he's coming off of something else. And um, he really doesn't care about his next job, so your job isn't going to be something he's going to be proud of. But he's for sure getting hired a lot of times because but he's, he's the only ten dollars an hour guy, right? And he, right. you know, so if you can work within those parameters, that's cool. Now you bump up to the twenty dollars so, an hour. So here's guy. a question: Yeah, do I take my Ferrari to Earl Shive for a paint job? The same kind of concept, right? <laughs> By the way, is there any stickers? Is there any bumper stickers on a Ferrari? You never see that because it's a whole different class. So when you're looking at that level of service. Uh, what do you want? Which guy do you want? And at Cobalt Banker, and what we do is we're offering the highest level of service for a competitive price. It's not even like astronomically over the top. It's very competitive, and you get what you pay for. And your analogy is I'm, I'm within it. Harbor Freight, I'll never go there. I bought my compressor. A half a, a, half a percent to a percent of, of what a discount fee would be on certain properties. Right, and it just depends, right, on what price point, what location, what condition. All these things matter. And if you're just saying, I'm only going to pay 2% as a seller, you're going to miss out on potentially upside and it's time and condition and what you want as a seller. When do you want to sell this house? And how quickly do you want it to sell? And what are you going to have to do to prepare it for the sale? Because you and I both know we can prepare a house. We can put $10,000, put 10 in and get 50 on the other side. But you know, who's going to give you that advice? Who knows the resources like you do? Well, the chief guy just says yes. He just nods and goes, yeah, I'm cheap. And that's it. So you're not really getting that advice from that person. No, he gets a sign up in the air. He puts in the MLS and hopes it sells. And it doesn't sell. Then you complain at him for his services. He says, I don't do that. And then you go get the other person. And you're like, gee, why is it so much? And it's like, well, did he, did he, how many people came through? What are the click-through rates? You know, how much money did he spend? Did he show you your marketing budget? I mean, but you you can definitely, do. I think, in any business, right, or any yeah. decision, you can you can basically, and you were talking about your wife like in quality earlier too, right? So I know a lot of you women out there are, are listening to this and you identify, and a lot of you guys too identify with quality, right? So if yeah. you do that, there's probably not going to be much of contention. You're going to have open ears to what it is that you're receiving in exchange for that fee. And I find that a lot of the times with our higher-end sellers, they're, they're really looking at the whole package and they're evaluating... Yeah what they're given 
what's going to work, they qualify that, and then they decide what the best value is for them. But mm-hmm. if they really like you, guess what? They'll come back and go, listen, like, you know, Earl, we'd rather use you, but Earl's offering us, you know, 5%, you know, 0.5% less, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're willing to come to our terms, can we make the deal, you know? And, and uh, I think that shows a lot to the presentation, the quality of preparation that you're yeah. putting into it. Yep. Um, it, it's kind of funny that way. I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you remember this, but last year, what was my team's highest ticket sale? Oh, I think you, you nailed down that. Uh, was it $5 million down in Carlsbad? Yeah, it was a $5 million interior Carlsbad. Pretty, yeah. pretty insane sale. Um, and the house was worth it. It was 100% Beautiful worth house. it. Like, it would have made me cry to undersell that house because it was probably the most amazing house I've ever seen. It just happened to be on the uh, Carlsbad Lagoon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unique, unique property. Very a lot cool. like it. Now, interesting story. Um, you know, that guy had listed actually with initially a a top producing Carlsbad broker, which I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm from Laguna Beach. I sell all over Southern California. Yeah, um, you do. You have people just say they serve Southern Cal. You do, man. If you look at a map of where all your deals are, you you cover the gamut. You know so much about the community in Southern California. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, and, and the funny thing, so that deal, I, I think one of the, the top producing local broker that they hired, no names, but they had a, tried to push that client to selling that house for $2.9 million two years prior to my listing contract, right? And the market hadn't changed, you know, hadn't got doubled in value, you know, since then at all. It had changed maybe about, let's say, 5%, yeah. you know, max. So basically the, the listing fee, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's how much the market gained between two years' time in this, in this up cycle that we had. And, uh, and then the, uh, the second agent came back and also came back and told that the client that they had to have the property listed about $3.2 million in order to sell it due to comps, gave them this whole analytical rundown. Yet if you stood there and you knew nothing about real estate, you'd go, this is the most amazing place I have ever seen. And that was a reaction we got all the time. So, um, you know, we knew that someone was going to come in there and take the place. It was just a matter of getting the exposure out to the right person. Um, that saw the value in it and to boot this was a cap five plus property at yeah. the value that we were marketed at with debt on the property right so i even factored in a mortgage property taxes all expenses everything and uh it just took actually me directly calling and this is this is quality service so i want you to understand potentially what the difference could be between hiring the guy that sticks on the market and reduces the price, reduces the price, reduces the price to someone that is a gunslinger that is going to go out there and get you the buyer for the property when they know that the value is there in it. The key, we have to know the value is in there. There has to be an equation for it somewhere. Yeah. Well, you did well of managing expectations. That client wasn't an easy client to manage. They had expectations set previously and um, he put in the time, man. I watched you do it, and, and you didn't relent. You know, it went on and off the market, I think, in that time period. Yeah, I worked on it for about a year. And then you put it back in, and you you you, you didn't let people go. You, that, that wasn't like people clamoring for that property. So you found the right person. Do you know how the buyer, do you know how we got the buyer for it? Yeah, I can't remember. You found them, right, though? We found, it, was a, it was a direct dial marketing call to an attorney's office. So I looked up attorneys that owned their own buildings mm. in the county. And I started calling the front desk and asked them if their boss invested in real estate. And I already knew the answer was yes. <laughs> and if they're bullshitting me, so I go, hey, it doesn't, doesn't Mark own the building? You know, like what, what's going on? So um, anyways, uh, we ended up direct dialing the buyer from that property. It was an attorney. They did represent their own commission, basically. 
and they came down and they, they purchased that property and it actually exceeded their cash flow requirements for vacation rental properties. So um, once we established that they were willing to buy pretty much any vacation rental, no matter the price, as long as it made this much income per year. Yeah, so the guy so went, he, he just went crazy when so he got there. He's like, oh my God, this is the coolest place. So you weren't like, you weren't just having open houses and trying to find some people coming through. No, I, you, you, that didn't work because I know you did that. And so you actually went out and hunted down this person where it made sense. the investment opportunity, not just a place to live. Exactly. So it was specific. A whole different channel of buyer mentality. Totally different. And then Target. when he saw it, it was a, it, it made sense to him and he, he pulled the trigger. You know, he thought it was like the greatest thing ever because he's like, oh, I can do this. And then like we had worked out this crazy deal where like the guy financed it himself for a period of time <laughs> because he was in finance and he but understood it. But he needed it. to do it that and, way, but, right? what got the property sold with a large down payment before the end of the year. So that was the whole deal. The guy needed to close it that year for a tax write-off on like a 1031 wow. deal. So, so how like, was your seller? How was he? Was what did he think of that whole thing? He he was like he is the best reference that you would ever ever want to call or have that, on your back. That thing sat. People had chance. Like pros had chances at that, and you turned yeah, that around. That's we had we had some great. actually. I, I believe you know one of the, I, I won't I don't even want to say specifically, but one of the top ten agents. Um, of all time in San Diego County that have listed that property prior. Yeah. And, and so it doesn't, so it's not always about that, that pedigree. I mean, that helps to have the background, but the, the commitment to that and the, the creativity it takes sometimes in our business to get things done. People don't always put value to that. I heard this quote the other day where, you know, someone said, Hey, you know, Brandon, you sold this house so quick, you know, you know, you're way, making way too much money. I should have negotiated a better commission with you. And it, it's about, not about what you, it's not about what you did right now. It's it's all the years that you've been working at this cumulatively. You know, you're paying for that experience to happen and execute, just like a doctor, right? Right. He's going to come in. If he does a surgery in an hour versus six hours, who cares? Your heart's fine. You're going to live. Right. right. And you do it in a way where it's not going to get infected and it's going to be longevity and there's no mistakes made. People <laughs> forget about about that you i'll know. pay you more because i had a bad surgery yeah <laughs> <laughs> no hey where's my rebate who do i talk if, to if, if anyone world. could go back in time that had made that decision and went back and said hey if you did this all over again would you have just had open heart surgery with doctor you know dr hogue hospital yeah you know they, they would probably say yes because aches and pains depression stress affiliated with the bad surgery was not worth any discount in the world. Yeah. Right? So when that when that seller's getting haunted back because he didn't do his proper investigation or or uh, you know the the buyer suing him because he didn't declare or he didn't put I mean all those things that people don't realize you know you know for the pro level that we have with with, with what we do here um, it saves you so much money in the long run you know it's it's just about quality and service and what you want how you want things handled because. People that are buying and selling properties that are over six hundred to a million dollars and beyond, they're busy people. You 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 can't be a slacker and earn the kind of money you have to be earning that to make the payments these days. I mean, oh yeah, you, you have know, to be smart. You have you to be a smart, be savvy person. So yeah. so to spend time to do it yourself, you know, maybe you can paint a room or two. But you know, if you overspray your friend your neighbor's car, now you're paying for a new paint job. But you know. The, the, the $30 an hour painter guy, he, he masks everything off. He spends extra time making sure he's using the right, right. stuff and he's, he's not thinning the paint. The paint will last for a long time and he's gonna get a referral from that. He's working for the referral and he stands back at his job and say, this is well done. 
you know, that's the attitude that, you know, you and I carry and that we attract those kinds of people. So. Absolutely. I mean, the best client, one of the best clients I've ever had, one of many, um, you know, this guy was a Harvard Business School graduate. If you go online and look him up, he's definitely something, right? Yeah. And, uh, and he hired and he paid actually a full commission. He actually increased my commission a half a percent because he wanted, he wanted me to work hard. Yeah, so to, he, uh, he realized if he, hey, I want to motivate the right person here. Yeah, and this guy, this guy is yeah, very, very well-known business person, basically. Um, and and the thing that was interesting about it was that he's like, he's like, I, I don't, you know, I don't care what the fee is. I, I care what the service is. And honestly, Brandon, he's all, if you know anything about property, and here's the killer right here, you don't make money when you sell. You pay money to sell a house. You make money when you buy. Yeah. And I bought that house with him, and he was stoked on the result. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's super true. So we, we found him. We found the deal, you know, up front, and uh, you know, he he definitely was was stoked. And we had about a I think a year turnaround on that property, and there was uh, over a hundred twenty five thousand dollar gain. Well, I, I look forward to seeing all these great you know transactions that you're going to be involved in this year. Your business is growing in the right way. You know, you're not just knocking units out. I see you taking care of the people from a business standpoint. I love the fact that you're, you're you're building relationships, but you're not trying to be their best friend. You're a professional. You have work to be done and to do with these people. And I see you making those right decisions with the people you're working with. So hats off to you. I look forward to uh, 2020 with you for sure. Perfect. So we're, we're going to wrap this up. And uh, next time, I think you're making this sound so good. So my guarantee, next time that I have a rah-rah with Rick, we're going to bring in a hater. <laughs> yeah, if you bring them. A, a hater, a third party. We're going to get them. I'm going to find them out in Mission Viejo. <laughs> and I'm going to pick them up. And I, I'm going to find the guy that hates real estate agents more than anyone. I'm going to door knock them. Yeah, that'd be cool. Let's you do know it. What? You know what? I understand that you hate us. That's cool. I have this podcast that you know thousands of people potentially listen to um, You know, weekly. Idea. I'd like to hear that. I'd like for you to sit down with us and just express and talk about why you hate real estate agents so much. And we're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Cool. All right. Sounds good stuff, good. Rick. Thank All you right. so much. I really yeah. appreciate All this. Right. Keep it up. Hopefully, hopefully anyone out there that made it 50 minutes learned something today. So All right. I appreciate you guys. Have fun. And uh, this is Brandon Burdick signing out. Thank you.